We are in a series this fall uh, called No Future Without Forgiveness, Giving and Receiving the Gift of Freedom. Now, one of the fears that people have about forgiveness is a fear of loss, a fear of losing, that there's a sense that we'll be defeated by the process of forgiveness and that the offender will be the one who wins. And the question is asked, shouldn't we give offenders what they deserve? And especially shouldn't we who, is, who were wronged by the offender give them what they deserve? Now, today we're looking at the story of David and King Saul. And this story is going to speak directly to that fear, the fear we have of losing out from our decision to forgive. One of the things that we see from David's response to Saul is that when we repay evil with good in the short term, the Lord will repay us with good in the long term. When we repay evil with good in the short term, the Lord will reward us with his blessing and with good in the long term. Now, before I say anything else, I want to, take, I want to make two clarifications about this teaching. First, repaying evil with good includes seeking justice and appropriate self-defense. Perpetrators need to be held accountable even if they don't like it. Fighting injustice is a godly act. Getting vengeance is not. Second clarification is that I am not teaching a forgiveness prosperity gospel. That by forgiving others, our life will be filled with health, wealth, and ease. What I'm teaching instead is a direct promise from Scripture that God stands ready to reward those who repay evil with good in Jesus' name. And this promise is given in the Old Testament. It's repeated in the Gospels and the Epistles, and it's demonstrated in the very pattern of Jesus' death and resurrection and the plan of the Gospel. So, um, when we repay evil with good in the short term, God, in his mercy and grace, will reward us with his blessing and with good as he defines the good in the long run. And this is a promise that you can stake your life upon. And if you read Hebrews 11, you can read a whole list of people who stake their literal life on this promise. We can too. It usually is going to take longer than we want it to. But God's goodness is worth the wait, and it's worth the response of repaying evil against us with good towards the one who perpetrated it. We will not lose if we go this way. Now, I want to notice some surprising ways this plays out in the life of David. So I invite you now to turn to 1 Samuel 24 in your bulletins or Bibles, 1 Samuel 24. Let me give you some backstory on the relationship between King Saul and David. King Saul was Israel's first king. And things started out really well in his leadership. He followed the Lord. He made good decisions. He fulfilled his duties. But then something happened, as things do, when he got power. And that is that something in his heart that was already corrupt manifested and took over. And so he became a paranoid leader. And one of the people that he became paranoid about was one of the people who could have helped him the most, which was David. David was God's anointed to take over when Saul was done being king. 
David was also his son-in-law. David married Saul's daughter. And David was also one of his musicians who played in his court. That uh, uh, David became someone who was, who was offering Saul ministry and was a great military leader as well. But instead of recognizing David's anointing and blessing it and helping him and forming a partnership, Saul became suspicious that David was trying to take over. And so what did Saul do? He started throwing spears at David in moments of weakness. You can imagine being David. You know, your father-in-law is turning on you. He's suspicious of you. And in fact, he's trying to kill you. Eventually, King David realizes that he has to leave the court. He has to flee. And so he, with the help of Saul's son, Jonathan, David discerns the time when he needs to go on the run. And so David is on the run. And what Saul does is that Saul chooses some of his best military men. And Saul personally leads uh, expeditions to go find David and kill him, wasting national resources to kill someone who's not his enemy in the first place, but he's made it his goal to kill David. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 and 2. We can look there now. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, which was Israel's actual enemy, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Verse 2, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. So David and his men are hiding out in the high cliffs above the Dead Sea. Um, this is a rocky area uh, close to En Gedi, and it's known as Wild Goats' Rocks. Um, here are the high places, the likes of which we read about in Psalm 18, when David says, you make my feet like a deer, you set me secure on the heights. You know, David's soul was formed in places like this, in the high cliffs overlooking the Dead Sea. Now imagine it, Saul and 3,000 of his elite troops, chosen troops, are hunting David down. They've got the horses, they've got the spears, they've got the spies, they've got the food, and they're driven on by Saul's malice. It's unyielding. It's irrational. And all you can do if you're David, all you can do is run. All you can do is hide. You're always hungry. You're climbing up and down the rocks. You're banging your shins when you slip. You're running through riverbeds that are slimy and falling into ditches. You're going to sleep in caves, catching winks of sleep here or there, waking up stiff, waking up sore, never quite rested enough, but you have to keep running and you have to keep watching. David's soul, David's capacity to forgive, David's leadership, you know, it wasn't formed in a secure, serene sanctuary of love and peace. It was forged on the run. It was purified in the furnace of King Saul's anger. David was no longer safe in front of King Saul, but he was safe in the presence of the Lord wherever he went. And yet, if you're in David's position, you might feel powerless always being on the run, never having enough, everybody against you except the rabble of men who have decided to join you. Let's just pause here and ask, have you ever felt powerless 
when someone has done you wrong? Has evil ever left you feeling like you have no personal agency left in the situation? This is a very common experience, actually. Think about an executive chef that screams at his kitchen staff for getting behind in the dinner rush. They feel voiceless and ashamed in response. They feel like it's all their fault. Or how about this? A group of men uh, ogle and sexually harass a woman who's walking by making comments to her that are completely inappropriate and demeaning. She ignores them as to not give them the satisfaction. Yet this whole experience leaves her feeling very demeaned and dehumanized. Or what about a thief that steals packages right off your porch, taking, taking packages that were expensive? One of them was your birthday present. It violated your property and your privacy, and this leaves you feeling, this leaves you just angry and seething. Or what about someone who used to be a friend, a fellow Christian, attacks you because of your political views? They think that it's, that it's inappropriate, your political views, and they refuse to meet with you face to face and treat you like the friend that you are. All they do is hurl insults at you, call you names and labels. I think that in situations like this, when we feel like our voice and our agency has been taken away by sin, is that we want to win. Someone, someone has taken away unjustly what belongs to us, and so we do want to take the power back by taking power out of their hands. And we think that by returning the favor, that's what's going to settle the score. Now, what's interesting is that David is going to have an opportunity to do just that. Verse three, and he, Saul, came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting on the innermost parts of the cave. What a coincidence. Saul is after David. And he goes after David, but he takes a break from his men and from the chase. He goes into the cave, either to use the restroom or to take a nap or both. And David's men are in the innermost part of the cave that Saul has gone to. Verse four, and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now David's men urge him to kill Saul and take his rightful place as the king of Israel. And they referenced a word that the Lord had spoken to David earlier. Did you catch it? Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Isn't that an interesting word from God to David? I'll give the enemy into your hand and you'll do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now, what's good? What defines the good for David in this moment? of power. He's got the bird in the hand. All he has to do is close his fist and he's got the kingdom and his enemy's dead. No more hiding. No more running. Guess who's going to have the spears and the spies and the food now? That would be the case if the good was defined by David's own hurt and David's anger. If it was defined by the peer pressure from his men who are angry after they've been following him through all of this as well. They're like, we're ready to be done with this. And this is an opportunity. 
If that's the good, good is revenge, and it's happening now in David's time. But what if, what if the good is defined by the word of the Lord, by the Torah? The Lord who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Or what about the character of the Lord who is merciful and gracious and also who visits the sins of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation? If the character and the word of the Lord defines what's good, David will go God's way. Now, at first, David doesn't go God's way. He tiptoes down the road of revenge and he sneaks up on Paul, who's t- uh, Saul, who's totally oblivious and slices a corner of his robe. Now, this might seem very benign to you, slicing off a corner of someone's robe. Um, but in this time, a robe of the king was a symbol of the unity of the kingdom and the power that the king had to lead it. It's like, a, like the flag flying outside the White House. For David to come up to the robe and slice it is a symbolic act which says, your kingdom is broken. Now all David has to do is let loose, let slip the dogs of war and Saul's dead at the hands of his men. And this is why David's conscience was pricked in uh, Hebrew verse course. Verse five, afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. This is Torah language. David wants to honor the word of the Lord, to not go after someone that the Lord has is established as the king over Israel. This is the good. In Hebrew, the word is tov. It's a rich word that implies a holistic goodness and justice and peace. This is the good that David will do to Saul. He will let him go. David puts his own life and his own security at risk to avoid getting vengeance. Verse seven, so David persuaded his men. And the Hebrew word here is interesting because in most other places, it refers to ripping something apart. This is what he's doing to his men, as it were. He's, he's like, break up the fight. He is forming a verbal and physical wall, restraining his men from going after Saul. They want him dead. Meanwhile, Saul is oblivious to this. He yawns, he stretches. He's like, all right, I'm feeling better. And he starts to walk out of the cave. And for all David knows, this is just the beginning of the end for him, that eventually Saul's going to find him and he's going to die. So it's at this point that David does the gutsiest thing we've seen him do in this narrative. He goes right to the source of the malice. Without his men and without Saul's men, he collapses the triangle. He goes straight to the source and he initiates a face-to-face conversation with King Saul. Saul is walking outside the cave to his men, but before Saul gets too far back to his men, David emerges from the cave and he says, my Lord, the king. And then David bows to the earth and he pays homage to Saul. He gives a nonverbal indication that he is under Saul's authority and he gives them allegiance. David then pleads with Saul to see reason. He appeals to his better angels and he says, why do you listen to the slander of other people who say, David's trying to kill you? 
Look at this piece of cloth, okay? I've got the receipt which says, I am not out to kill you. My men urged me to do it, and I didn't do it. Why? Because I respect you, my father, because you're God's anointed king, and I'm not a traitor. Even though you are trying to kill me, I'm not a traitor at the risk of my own life. Now, David goes further in verse 12. He says this, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. What an interesting thing. May the Lord judge, may the Lord avenge. Have any of you heard about the woman? Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. She was a missionary. Uh, her and her husband, Jim, were missionaries in South America. She was also, she went on to be an author, but you know what happened to her husband? Her husband, in the, in the course of bringing the gospel to some people in South America, those people speared him to death and he died in a river right next to their village. Do you know what Elizabeth Elliot ended up doing? She ended up not only forgiving these people, she ended up going to live among them, taking her daughter with her. And do you know that there were lifelong bonds that were formed from that act of forgiveness? Here's something that Elizabeth Elliot said, and it sheds some light on what David's doing here. She said, if you insist on defending yourself, God will let you do it. But if you turn the defense of yourself over to God, he will defend you. You could say the same thing for vengeance. If you insist on getting vengeance for yourself, God will let you do it. He's not going to stop you. But if you turn the, if you turn the, uh, the act of justice and vengeance of yourself over to God, he will see to it. Now, so David knew this. Elizabeth Elliot knew it. David knew it. I want you to know it. This is very important. David knew that if he tried getting vengeance for himself, God would go ahead and let him do it. But if he were to give the whole situation over to God, God would be his advocate. God would be his judge and God would get justice for him. So he declares to Saul what he had already resolved in his heart on those long wilderness journeys. Saul, you've sinned against me. You've hunted me. You've believed lies about me. May God judge this. May God avenge this. May God sort this out. I'm not going to force God's hand. This is what Jesus did. He continually entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted all the injustice to the one who judges justly. This is a very significant power transfer. Do you see this? He is transferring his power over to God and saying, you defend me, you judge for me, you avenge for me. God is powerful. God is good. God is paying close attention to the situation. And God is ready to step in unless David steps in for God. Now, David still does his part. He's still, you know, showing appropriate self-defense. He's running from Saul. He's keeping himself alive. And he's also, when it's appropriate, speaking truth to power. But he doesn't get vengeance. Instead of grasping for power and agency, David puts all the power and agency back into the hands of God. And do you, can you see, and here's what's important if we've lost power and agency, 
when there's injustice done against us. Do you know what happens? We get the power and the agency and the voice back from God. We see this in verses 13 and following as um, David speaks very poignantly as he pleads for Saul to see better. Verse 13, out of the Proverbs of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? A flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. In short, what is David saying? He says, Saul, you're my father and you're the king. You're being foolish. You're wasting national resources trying to track me down. I'm not the rebel you think I am. I didn't kill you when I had the chance. I fear the Lord. I trust the Lord to avenge me. And I plead with you to stop this madness. This is what agency and strength looks like from someone who's been harmed and been wronged. Though Saul took away David's safety, he couldn't take away David's voice or he, and he could not take away David's trust in God's judgment. This is one way that God repaid David with good and gave him a voice. It was really important. He gave David courage. He gave David the dignity of a nonviolent response. And he gave David the opportunity to contend for, Paul, for Saul's soul and honor Saul's office and repay Saul with good. This is what agency and dignity and winning in the kingdom of God looks like. It's like the Lord said, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now, Saul had a very re surprising reply to David, and we'll get to that in a minute. I just want to pause here and speak to everyone whose agency and voice has been taken away. Someone paid you evil. They assaulted you. They stole from you. They hurt you as deeply as they could. They took the knife. They stabbed you with it, and then they twisted it. Do you know that you have the same opportunity that David had? You do. You can bless or curse the one who hurt you, and that is a very significant thing. You can do to them as it shall seem good to you. So what's the good? We can bless or curse these people in our hearts. We can seek revenge, or we can ask the Lord to be the judge. We can clap back. We can hurt back. We can stab them in the back. God will let us go ahead and do that. But if we want better justice and a higher calling, we can yield our rights to the just judge. And my friends, I tell you, there's power in this. Because when we repay evil with good, the Lord repays, evil, repays us with a blessing. When someone does us evil and we do them good in response, the Lord is watching and he is ready to reward us. Listen to these promises from scripture. Do not repay evil with evil or reviling with a reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. The Lord's ears are open to the prayers of those who will not inflict vengeance. How about the words of Jesus? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your father who is in heaven. 
In October 2006, Charles Roberts entered a one-room Amish schoolhouse. And tragically, he shot and killed five innocent girls. And he wounded and maimed five others. And then he went ahead and took his own life. Now, his wife would later tell ABC News that Charles had grown deeply distressed because they'd actually lost their firstborn daughter. And he was trying to get revenge on God. One author describes what happened after this shooting. Quote, without warning, the Amish community and especially the families directly affected by the murders were confronted with evil. What startled the world was the way in which the entire Amish community responded. As a group, about 30 Amish community members attended Charles's funeral, comforted his widow, and even set up a charitable fund for his children. Now, this act of forgiveness, this act of repaying evil with good, sent shockwaves around the world. But there's one beautiful ripple effect that I don't want to miss. Charles's mother, Terry, was having an awful time trying to forgive her son for doing what she raised him not to do. And the love of the Amish community actually drew her in and she actually spent a lot of time in the community, which her son had done so much heinous evil among. And then she began to volunteer her time. She was so overcome by their love and forgiveness that she spent lots of her time, even though she herself was battling cancer, she spent time taking care of the physical and practical needs of one of the victims who was maimed by her son's shooting. And she did that for the rest of her life before she was taken from cancer. Now, what about David? David risked his life to spare Saul and to plead for reconciliation. Are there any ripple effects for him? Can we see any of God's goodness now? And, and look at Saul's response in verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Do you see how David's appeal melted Saul's defenses. Just for a brief moment, David's, David's soft answer turned away wrath. And now Saul's actually going to turn and bless David. After, being, uh, after years of being hunted by this man, Saul, these words must have been so healing for David. Saul said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Now, can you see God repaying David good even through his enemy? Isn't this amazing? There's some poetic justice here. Now, during this series, we've talked about the difference between re retributive justice and restorative justice. Retributive justice seeks the suffering and pain of the offender like Saul, but restorative justice seeks the humanity of people like Saul and sets boundaries without getting revenge. Retributive justice is David killing Saul, spitting on his corpse, taking the throne. Restorative justice is David sparing Saul, appealing to him for justice, and hearing Saul say with his own mouth, 
May the Lord reward you with good for what you have done for me this day. Retributive justice is Peter slicing off the soldier's ear who's trying to arrest Jesus. Restorative justice is Jesus healing the soldier's ear and then going to the cross willingly to die for Peter's sins and the soldier's sins. Retributive justice is rising from the dead, finding all of the people who put you on trial, people who put you on the cross, and saying, what's up now? Let's see you go to trial. Let's put you on the cross and see how that feels. Restorative justice is rising from the dead and gathering all the discouraged people and breathing life into them and encouraging them and doing an Old Testament Bible study with them and then releasing them to go preach the good news to the very people who put Jesus on the cross so that they have a chance to repent. Retributive justice is repaying evil with evil. Restorative justice is repaying evil with good. And Jesus has shown us the way, my friends. He has shown us the way the meek shall inherit the earth. God will repay us with good, and David will inherit the throne. Saul even said it. He said, now I know you're going to be king over Israel. And then he said, and when you are king over Israel, would you continue this pattern? Would you not do what every other king would do? And that is kill all of my family members. That was common practice, standard operating procedure in the ancient Near East. When you become king, you kill all of the family members of the, of the other king. And David says, I'll do that. And he even adopted Mephibosheth. Anyway, Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. David just keeps the pattern going, paying good for evil. When we repay evil with good in the short term, God will repay us good in the long term. In fact, through Christ, God has already lavished on us abundantly far more than any enemy could ever take away. Did you know that? That you already have, you've already won. You've already won through the cross and the resurrection. You have the spirit, you have the gospel, you have the church, you have the word of God, you have God's past, present, and future applied to you. So who has thrown spears at you? Who has chased you down like Saul? Who has uh, perpetrated injustice against you or against someone that you love who has hurt you? I just want to give you a moment to acknowledge to the Lord how difficult this has been. Just ask him for the strength to see the toll it's taken on you. Do you know that this is a challenging thing to actually acknowledge how angry we are and how much, how strong of a toll the injustice has taken? Let's go to prayer now and um, ask the Lord to show you the toll this has taken on your soul. Acknowledge to him how this has left you feeling. And for those who are ready, I want to invite you to ask the Lord to take up your cause, to take up the role of judge and to win justice for you. And even as the Lord sees fit to avenge you in a way that only God could do. And there may be something unfinished from the situation that burdens you. 
And so I want to offer you a prayer that has really helped me. And that is, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Please take care of this whole situation. Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Please take care of everything. I put the whole situation into your hands. And you can even visualize through your imagination, placing the entire situation and this person into the hands of the just judge. And one final opportunity or invitation for those who are ready, if you want to step into the, the pattern of Jesus and David and the people of God, and you're ready to repay evil with good, I want to give you one way to do that right now. And that is to pray for those who have persecuted you or done you wrong. And this is something that Jesus gave us as a way forward in our gospel reading today. Someone that you're struggling to forgive, someone who has hurt you. You can pray for them to repent. You can pray for them to know the freedom and forgiveness of Jesus. You can pray that the Lord would bless them. It is always good for our soul to pray for our enemies. If it's hard for you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you if you're ready to try. And you can even say, Lord, is there a tangible way beyond prayer to do good to this person in response to the ways they've hurt me? Is there a tangible way to do good to them or to, or to, or to not do evil against them, to not get revenge? And the Father who gives wisdom from above will help you know. Now let us, let us pray. God of compassion, you have reconciled us in Jesus Christ who is our peace. Enable us to live as Jesus lived, breaking down walls of hostility and healing enmity. Give us peace with those from whom we are divided, that forgiving and forgiven, we may ever be one in Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit reigns forever, one holy and undivided trinity. Amen.